Hello, ladies, and it's great that you're here today. My name is Denise Ackley. If you don't know the voice that's speaking right now, and I'm so glad that you guys are all here today to continue in on this a study of 1 Corinthians. And I hope you've had a great time looking over everything and learning these great truths that are in this book for our lives today. And so I want to start off again, as we look into the scriptures, one of the things that we always know is important is to look at context. And we look at what came before, what comes after, who wrote the book, the purpose of the book and the why. And we've learned a lot of things that Paul is instructing in this church. And so I want to start by going backwards a little bit, because in chapter 10, we have a very detailed warning against idolatry and why that was such a stumbling block for the people at Corinth. And so I like to kind of title this Food for Thought, because it starts off about how the temple worship involved meat, sacrifice to idols, and how they were to respond to that. And then it ends with whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So food for thought or a subtitle, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So let's talk about how we got to chapter 10. In a brief review of chapter 8, is a very concise chapter about food offered to idols where Paul tells them, look, God is the only God. Idols are not real gods. God has given us food to enjoy and whatever's eaten in thankfulness to God is of a clear conscience. Um, however, the principle at the end of chapter 8 was, if though someone would see you eating at a temple. Now, apparently that was the restaurants of the day. You could actually go to these temples where they had these sacrifices and eat a good steak dinner. But if someone who knew that you were a Christ follower were eating at that temple and they didn't know that your conscience was clear before God in that and it caused them to shipwreck their own faith because they did not have that freedom of conscience, Paul says, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So there we go with chapter 8 and that principle. Chapter 9, where Paul goes into, look, I will surrender my rights so that I can preach the gospel. And he ends chapter 9 with, and I'm also going to keep my body, my appetites, my desires under self-control. So that leads us into chapter 10, where we go into this big warning about idolatry. So here we go into the popular culture of Corinth and gives you a little bit more of an in-depth view of knowing why he's saying this, using the history of the people of Israel. And here we start off in chapter 10 with five alls. And if you know anything from how Pastor Tim preaches, all means all. That's all all means. Um, but he talks here about the alls of Israel. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, he starts off, that our fathers were all what? They were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses and into the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink. And the drink, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, 
With most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So what he's saying here is here is an example from Israel's history that paralleled what the church has in communion. Okay, they drank spiritual drink and food, and that doesn't mean that it wasn't real, but he analogizes the, the water that came from the rock as being a spiritual drink because that rock represented Christ, right? So they had a spiritual drink and spiritual food and the manna that was given to them from God. So in a way, they had a foreshadow type of what our communion meal elements are in the, the, the drink representing the blood of Christ and the bread, the body of Christ. So they had similar things, just like you Corinthians in Christ have in communion. They were baptized into Moses, just like you were baptized in Christ. They followed Moses. They were under his leadership and they were with him in these fantastic experiences that even though they experienced all that, they were not living in their faith and obedience and were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things in verse 6, these things took place as examples to us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now, this actually harkens back to Numbers where that same phrase is used of how the Israelites longed after the food of Egypt. And again, tied into the fact that their appetites were more of their controlling influence even. And it calls it desired evil because they were not going to be happy with what God had given them. And then how that followed through with the more cultural ritual meals and the cultural practices that were so sexually immoral. They ate, drank, and rose up to play. This is a symbolism of, uh, well, not symbolism. This is how they worshipped in these uh, cultic pagan temple rites that they picked up from Egypt. And this is what they're doing in Corinth. This is all part of that, a ritual meal and the sexual immorality that's very much associated with it, okay? And then he lists the, the sins that Israel did as, as Christ and God dealt with them. They grumbled, the sexual immorality and how they uh, were participating in all of these um, pagan worship practices. And these things are written for our examples, okay? That you take heed lest you fall. So here we go. The summary, Israel experienced going through the Red Sea, the miraculous deliverance of God. They experienced the spiritual food and drink. They experienced all these great things, but yet they succumbed to the immorality of the pagan worship system that they had been accustomed to in Egypt and that their flesh naturally wants, right? So take heed. You're going to put yourself in a Corinthian temple where there's prostitutes in the name of religion. Talk about a, you know, an amazing scratch-your-head system that prostitution is used in the name of religion. Boy, isn't that great? Everyone was religious in Corinthians area, right? Well, if you're going to put yourself in that situation, you who think you've experienced all these great things in the church, take heed lest you fall. Okay. But here's a great verse we come to. No temptation, verse 13, has taken you, but what is common to man, and God is faithful, and with that temptation will make a way out, right? 
Now, I'm sure you've heard it by now. Unfortunately, this is one of the most misquoted, misapplied scriptures in teaching today where God will not give you more than you can bear. This has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that you will get hit in life with life circumstances that are beyond your capability as a person to handle. Uh, in fact, um, I believe if we go to 2 Corinthians there's a section in the first chapter where Paul talks about all the lists of everything that he went through. Shipwrecks, beatings, hunger, um, just the whole list. And he said, I despaired even of life itself. This is coming from the lips of the Apostle Paul. And then he says, but this all happened so that we would not be dependent on ourselves, but on God. So he went through more than he, could hear, he despaired of life itself. But these things, the trials and the hardships of life, we are not made to endure this on our own. They are designed to absolutely bring us to our need to serve and, and trust on God. So this is about temptations. So if we sin today, it's because we flat out chose it. Because God has, with every temptation, given us a way out. And this is one reason why we will go to Paul's... Um, strict and bottom line um, how to deal with temptation a little bit further in this chapter. So, in fact, it's right here, verse 14. So what's his, his remedy? Flee from it. Run. Make no provision for it. Do not be near something that is a stumbling block for you. And again, this is how they grew up and raised. This is their culture. This is their norm. Okay. So flee from it. Okay. So then he goes into the following scriptures about, look, when we participate with communion, with the blood and the bread of Christ, we're participating with Christ, okay? And if you're going to go eat at a temple meal, in a way, here he says, why would you want to put yourself even in a situation where that could be thought of about you? Because he goes on to say, what do I imply then? Now listen to me, he's saying. Now listen to me. What am I implying here? That an idol is anything, he says in verse 19? No. In verse 20, no. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons, okay? They offer to demons. And I don't want you to be participants with demons, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake at the table of the Lord and of the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Here's some strong words here. You know, Christians, myself included, we can often have things where we just maybe feel like we can have certain sins we're okay with. And God is not okay with any sin in our life. You know, and there are things that if we really want to be so much like the world, um, that we provoke God to jealousy. Don't provoke God to jealousy. Let's be very sure that we are not trying to be so much like the world that they can't tell that we're Christians. Let's make sure that we are very much following close to the Lord, okay, and, and not participating with things that are so demonic. I don't think we have a great deal of that, but it is a, uh, with the music and the entertainment and the things of this world, 
um, there is a challenge, I think, in there in that. Okay. So he is going into where he's saying, look, review. Um, just because you've experienced the communion of the, the church of Christ, the blood the, that represents the cup that represents the blood of Christ and the bread. Just because you've gone through that doesn't mean you are not aware of the fact that you can fall back into temptation by being at these meals and you don't even want to identify with the things that identify with demons. Put it far away from you. Be known for more what you are for Christ than how well you blend with the world. Okay. So all things are lawful, he goes on, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, he repeats, but not all things build up. And here we go into a section where, again, he's extrapolating again what he had in chapter 8. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. All right, there's your bottom line principle. Here's how we learn and take what we're talking in Corinthians to how we talk about it in our own sections today. Now, this reminded me as I was reading through this very much what I grew up in southern part of the United States, an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing South, um, where, for an instance, what would parallel with them is the whole attitude of being able to drink alcohol. Now, I was raised, they would even say that the first miracle that Christ did in his ministry of turning the water into wine at the wedding, they would tell you that that wasn't real wine. You could not have gotten drunk off of that wine because God would never make anything that would make you drunk. Um, I mean, so that's how much they downplayed it and really acted that if you drunk alcohol at all, that that was sinful behavior. So, so how do we do that? That if you feel like you have the freedom to drink wine or alcohol, but not into excess or not to where you're drunk with it. But if you were to have a casual drink with your dinner or whatever like that, so how that plays out, okay, um, I cannot drink alcohol because of, of uh, my digestive system will not allow it uh, for me personally. But however, I do not have that, that conscience. I, that to me is, I, at the same time, my dad was a raging alcoholic. But I will not say that I, I believe that the Bible teaches that that is not allowed. So... But at the same time, my dad was a raging alcoholic. So if I go down south, let's just say I, were, I did have that conscience. That means I don't order a drink going out to dinner because out of the conscience for people around me, even family members back home who do hold to that because I don't want it to be a stumbling block. That's the thing. So let's get caught up in that, not whether, oh my goodness, let's get caught up on that issue itself. The bottom line is what I have the conscience to do if someone else around me, Paul says, I would rather not eat meat ever again if it meant that I was going to offend someone and possibly shipwreck their faith. So that's the bottom line principle. And that's how we work with each other in the church. We need to honor each other. And this is something that I really think is the key lesson for the church today out of this. Let's honor each other. And... We can have our convictions, but at the same point, if someone is weaker in their faith or uh, strongly objects to that, this is where we need to honor each other uh, even more so. So here it goes from let's 
do the better thing of not even being seen in the temple to eat it, even if technically you have the lawful, quote unquote, right to do so. If you're receiving it as, thank you, Lord, for providing this food, and I worship you only, even if you have that lawful right, don't go to the temple. Now he moves on to the meat market of that day, which often had meat that was sacrificed to idols. So, and again, Jewish customs were probably very much used to asking a lot of questions. Don't eat meat that was strangled. They were probably used to, now tell me a little bit about where this meat came from. Here Paul says, shockingly, even as a Jew, don't even ask. If it looks good, it's a good price, don't ask um, because of the conscience, okay? But he goes on to go a little bit more extrapolation on that. Don't eat it because you don't want to raise issues of conscience. But if it gets raised, now it becomes an issue of conscience. And it goes on even to the sake of let's go on further to say you're invited to a meal with someone who's not a believer and you're inclined to go. You want to be a friendly person. You go to this dinner and they set this lovely meal in front of you. And then right before you put that first bite in your mouth, they say, by the way, this was sacrificed at the temple of a false god, a demon. At that point, because of his conscience, not yours, you have have the freedom in Christ to eat what you personally have given thanks to. But because of his, it's almost like That person may be testing you to see, okay, now, what is this Christian going to do with the fact that I said, I'm giving you something I offered to a demon? Because of his conscience, he says, do not partake of it. So again, once then, don't let your belly be the God there. You have to say, no, you know, at this point, I, I thank you very much, but I cannot partake of this meat that you have let me know is sacrificed to um, a false god. So here we go. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Even to as minuscule thing as how we eat or drink. Is it what we can do in good conscience to the glory of God? Give no offense to either the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. To me, a very the three groups of people that are on the planet today. The Jews, which Paul worked so hard not to be an offense to them, while yet sharing with them how Christ was the fulfillment of the law. We just talked about that in our Acts series, how he went to do a purification ritual He knew he was already made right in Christ, but to not be an offense to the Jews, he was willing to do that, even though to him, he knew he was already clean before the Lord. So he didn't want to be an offense to the Jews or to the Greeks. How was he not an offense to the Greeks? You think about um, the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill or, or Athens, men of Athens. I'm observing that you have many gods and he talked to them where they were right? Just as I please everyone in everything I do, so not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. And here is the bottom line, that they may be saved. That is the bottom line. My actions, what I choose to do, my rights, my privileges, what matters most is that the people that I am with or that see me 
will either give glory to God because of my good works, according to Matthew, that men may see your good works and glorify Father in heaven, or that it won't be a stumbling block to the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That honor of each other and that goal of getting out the gospel is what's most important. So once again, we're transitioning still from chapter 8 of, okay, here's the lawful part, but the bottom line principle that we will not cause stumbling blocks. On to 9, where I'm going to be willing to give up my rights so that I won't be a, a burden or a weight, but also for the purpose of the gospel. To chapter 10, listen, Israel saw the glory of God, experienced the equivalent of communion, and still fell into immorality because they were too close to it. They did not say that will not be a part of a true worshiper of God. And because they saw all these things did not prevent them from falling into sin. That is the point. Christians, we partake of communion and we need to take heed lest we also fall. That just because we're part of proclaiming the communion doesn't mean that we also don't need to really be aware of how easy it is for myself to choose to sin or identify with the world. James says, do you not know that those who make themselves friends with the world put themselves as the enemy of God? That should make us all shudder. So we don't want to be spiritual adulterers. We don't want to put ourselves either spiritually or physically in a place where we are sinning against God. So learn from Israel. Learn from their mistakes learn from their disobedience where they would not separate themselves from the pagan culture that they have had been immersed in. And let's walk in honor of each other. And boy, I wish that was more in the church today. I, can I just say, I see that there are times when people have a pet, um, project or something that if the whole church doesn't do exactly what they want to do it's going to cause division brothers sisters my family be aware that the enemy wants to cause division so let's honor each other let's honor more importantly the purpose of our lives is to get the gospel so where people try to get you to mingle with the world be aware of it but also be honoring each other and the purpose of it the purpose of it all. Paul says, the driving force of my decisions on how I'm going to act with the, my brothers in the church and with unbelievers in the world, the bottom line is, how do I get the gospel of Christ to them without me being a stumbling block or an offense in what is free for me as bought, blood, and paid for in the blood of Christ? How do we get the gospel out? So I think it's great. And we're going to see how he continues this as he goes through Corinthians to we're aiming toward that, how we're going to talk about how the Lord's Supper had become not based on these principles, how love really is the greatest of these principles. But here and for today, it is about let's not be un 
unwise about how our actions impact each other and how easy it is to get entangled again with the world culture we live in. This was their culture, folks. The pagan rituals, the pagan, pagan prostitution at the temples, the meals that were given, that was their, their culture. That was their everyday practice. That was expected. In our culture, we have a lot of other things that try to trip us in, so let's be aware of that. Let's thank God for the exit that He gives us in, in temptation. Let's honor each other. Let's not do as Israelites did. Let's walk in the newness of life and let the gospel and the honor of the God of the gospel be what drives us. May this teaching, I hope, has been encouraging to you, reminding us of the great salvation that we have been bought with and the great purpose to which we've been called. Have a great discussion and God bless.